the warmth of her perfume as she brushes past your desk. That secret smile from the hunky guy in dispatch. That electric moment when your eyes meet across a crowded staff room. Ah, workplace romance. The passions and the perils. Think. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, welcome to Science Radio for another week. And with us on the phone from sunny North Queensland is Suzanne Bocking. How are you, Suzanne? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me on the program. Oh, it's great to have you. And look, thanks so much for writing an article for us in this month's Signs of the Times. It's entitled The Do's and Don'ts of Workplace Romance. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I kind of feel like people are either going to cringe when they see that or mm-hmm. want to know more because we've all almost got a story about workplace romance, knowing that up to 40% of employees have had a workplace relationship at some point in their career. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we can say, oh my goodness, this is so inappropriate. Why would you even talk about that? Well, we're talking about it because it's just reality. <laughs> Hey, can we just talk about you for a minute? Because I guess uh, this topic is kind of related to some of your your professional experience. You've worked in is it HR and and in like counselling and like life coaching sort of stuff. Can you just give us a bit of a, a background there? Yeah, so I spent 10 years in Asia, um, actually working in HR and change management. Mm -hmm. And then I did my master's in counselling. And so I've kind of been in that space ever since with my own private practice or as a school Mm counsellor or in different workplaces, also um, counselling slash social work. Oh, okay. And and has this issue come up in, in those contexts? Definitely. I definitely saw it a lot in Asia. And then since coming back to Australia, you just kind of, it's more about the war stories, I suppose, the ones that haven't Mm. worked out so well versus the ones that that have. So I feel quite passionate around this area because I think there's a really great way that you can do it. Mm -hmm. So I suppose if there's anyone out there listening who just thinks, oh, you know, it's just all negative, it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. It just means that because we spend so many hours at work, we have to tread very carefully. And because it's also wrapped up in our career progression, our reputation, there is so much at stake, but then there can actually be some really good outcomes. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess like working in HR or in counselling and that sort of stuff, you're always going to be coming across the train wrecks, aren't you? Like, r- rather than the, yes. the ones that sort of lived happily ever after. Yeah. And I'm in one of those happily ever afters. So that's why I felt like writing this article was a real gift because I could Mm. actually get some strategies that we employed thanks to some wisdom and some of our own strategies that we'd kind of, I'd seen in the past that worked well, put those together and it just worked out really well for us. Right, right. Okay. Now, look, before we sort of go into the do's and don'ts, I guess what a lot of us need to understand are the appropriate boundaries. So often you know, in a workplace, the phrase will come up sexual harassment. And sometimes we even, you know, refer to it, you know, jokingly, oh, you're harassing me and blah, blah, you know, and it's sort of seen as, as a fun thing that we, we minimise. But obviously it is a real serious issue. So can you just like give us some parameters? What are we talking about when we talk about sexual harassment and how does that differ from, you know, today's topic, workplace romance? So I imagine it might yeah. must be a bit blurred sometimes. 
Absolutely. And I think we see how how much it's affected people for a worldwide movement like Me Too mm-hmm. to have even been created. So let's talk about what sexual harassment is. Mm-hmm. It's unwelcome conduct of a sexual nature mm-hmm. that makes a person feel offended, humiliated, intimidated. And there's a real fine line. So there can be some flirtatious behaviour. Mm-hmm. There can be some comments or reactions that all seem very playful and enjoyable in the beginning. But as soon as it is unwelcome, then that's where the line becomes very clear. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is I've sometimes heard the definition there that it's unwanted or unwelcome and repeated sexualized behavior. Mm. Is, is, is being repeated a part of what's necessary for that definition or, or can a one-off incident count as harassment? Absolutely. A once-off can. Bullying is more when it's a repeated, a repeated activity or action. And that's where we more stand on the bullying side of things when in workplace context, whereas sexual harassment can be just a once off Mm -hmm. where a person feels very uncomfortable. They have every right then to go to their HR department or to their manager and have a discussion about it so that it it doesn't repeat again. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when you say it's unwanted, is it necessary for the person who doesn't want it to actually speak up and say, hey, you know, I, I really don't want that. I don't like that. Please stop. Is it necessary to speak out be, before it becomes harassment? Or is it, you know, like you say, can you speak straight to your supervisor if you're not comfortable, you know, directing this complaint directly at, at the person who, who is doing it to you? That's a really charged question because there's so much involved and it all depends on the level of power differential between the person who's receiving the unwelcome attention. Mm The most ideal situation is if an employee can go directly to the other employee and say, that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be spoken to in that way. And then obviously, if it happened again, to go up higher. However, it's very difficult in in many experiences if it's their boss or somebody senior, or perhaps even there's a fear of an individual losing their job or ruining their reputation or the industry is very small uh, Mm. or the workplace is very small that then it could affect their ability to progress uh, their career. Word gets around. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But what we do always recommend from a HR perspective is, where possible, try and work it out with the individual Mm one-on-one, where I would say it's not possible if there is a power differential because it is a a boss or a CEO or a manager. Or secondly, if the behaviour had gone way too far and was way too inappropriate and now there's no longer an ability to have that relationship because you're just not even safe to go and talk to them. Mm -hmm. No, I I remember when I was, I think probably about 17, I, I worked in a, in a factory and there was a middle-aged woman who thought it was hilarious to pinch my bum as I went past and make some sort of inappropriate sexualized comments from time to time. And I guess looking back on it now, I realized, wow, I was actually being sexually harassed. I certainly didn't want it. It made me feel very uncomfortable. But then I guess one of the reasons why I perhaps might not have thought of it as sexual harassment is that in my mind, perhaps I thought of it as uh, a gendered issue when it's it's something that women suffer from men. But I imagine there is a gendered aspect to it. Mm. It's interesting because there's not a lot of statistics out still and you think this has been an area of great concern from a HR perspective for a number of years, but men are so much less likely to raise concerns Mm. or to report any uh, inappropriate behaviour. Yeah. 
So we really don't even know what the statistics are like out there of sexual harassment in the workplace against males. Mm -hmm. And mostly we only hear it against females. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So I guess it would, in the absence of statistics, it would seem likely that women would generally suffer it more often than men. But I guess, like you say, there aren't statistics. So really we should be prepared to accept that it really can happen you know, to anyone. Yes. And also I think it really depends on workplace culture. Yeah. Because looking at the number of different organisations I've worked in now or worked for as a consultant, some have got a very strong workplace culture of respect and honour for their employees mm-hmm. and others would be much further down on the scale and have a poorer sense of, of that for their employees. And so that's going to make a huge difference as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's always the, the sort of classic, you know, alcohol lubricated Christmas party where, you know, basically the scandals happen that people are talking about for the, for the rest of the year. There, there are are certainly workplaces where this you know does continue to be a, a huge issue mm, or even just acceptance of bad behavior oh you know that's how johnny always is don't worry about him mm-hmm. and it's like no that isn't acceptable any longer or or that sandy she just always wolf whistles at the boys as they walk past or mm-hmm. it, it isn't acceptable and it's not just oh well that's a, a person's nature or character Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be acceptable in a workplace where we actually are there for a professional reason in paid employment it should be a place where everybody feels safe and as I mentioned in the beginning the amount of hours that we work in the workplace makes it an area of either uh, a great joy in our life or a great amount of stress. Mm-hmm. Suzanne in, in this uh, very risk averse work culture that we have today I completely understand why there are some workplaces that say, you know what, no dating, no romantic attachments, no, you know, between employees at all. They just have this blanket rule. Is that a a good idea, would you say, or, or is that just sweeping the issue under the carpet? I think it's very tricky to monitor what your employees do outside of the workplace, mm-hmm. and that's not part of a, of a healthy work culture either to kind of create that nanny state environment. Mm-hmm. I think there it's very good to have clear boundaries on how every employee, regardless of gender, regardless of their sexuality, of how they treat one another as a whole, I think they're really good they're really good boundaries to have. But outside of that, I think it's walking very difficult ground to be able to say what an employee does outside of the workplace if obviously it's not outside of the, the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I and see. I've personally never worked in a workplace where they've banned it altogether. Mm-hmm. And most of the organisations I've worked for are very human focused and all about wanting to build up their employees and believing in them as individuals. So yeah, it hasn't been my experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Look, in regards to harassment, just one more question before we do go into yeah. these sort of do's and don'ts you've given us in the article. Obviously, if you, you know, if you are suffering some sort of harassment, you know, you need to, as you say, speak to the person who's you know, perpetrating that on you if possible. And if not, you know, work your way through the, the supervisory structure. But yeah. but what about if you witness, you know, a colleague suffering this? Uh, I guess I'm, mm-hmm. again, I'm probably thinking from a, a gendered point of view that often women feel unable to, to speak up and, and feminists are increasingly sort of calling for men to be sort of allies in the fight. So if, if I am a, a male friend or a female friend or any even just a colleague uh, who's not even particularly friendly, and I see this happening, 
What's the difficulty there? I, mean, I think in Australia we have this particular difficulty with, you know, don't be a dobber sort of stuff, but mm-hmm. there must be a time when, you know, you need to speak up and, and help out. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think we've come to that with um, the amount of mental health issues we have across the country. We mm. have the stats are now that one in four adult will have a mental health concern throughout their adulthood. So the numbers are, are huge. And so we've got things like Are You OK Day mm-hmm. where we actually start getting more comfortable about having the difficult conversations. So my recommendation would be if somebody saw something that they in their in their heart felt wasn't a appropriate and I always tell my team like make sure that you go with your gut instinct Mm. and not to then jump in but it's just to simply go to that guy or that girl that you've seen potentially harassed and say hey I just noticed this behavior are you okay with that Mm. and if they say actually yeah I don't mind it well then fair enough Mm. it's then not in that harassment realm because it's not unwelcome behavior yeah, yeah. However, if they were then to say, yeah, and I've spoken to the individual and I really don't like it, but they keep doing it, I think then it's about getting alongside a person and empowering them to be able to, to step forward. And it is part of, I believe, a moral duty of care that we have as, other, as one human to another mm. because we each have different seasons where we're weaker or we don't feel like we can speak out as much. And sometimes we can just be that for another person and help them out. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So, Suzanne, in this article, you've given us a number of do's and don'ts, although I've actually you've given us don'ts and do's now that I'm looking at the article, it's here in front of me. You've given us a yeah. three, three don'ts and, and a couple of do's. Are you able to take us through those? Sure. And I, and I don't mean to be so prescriptive, but obviously when you're writing an article, you just want to keep it to the point. Yep. And I suppose from my years of counselling and working in HR with a lot of these issues coming to the forefront, I think these are what I have highlighted as being the biggest concerns Mm -hmm. of how people don't do it well or how you can do it well. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest number one point came first, and that's about don't consider getting into a relationship if you or the other person is not available. Mm -hmm. I think I've seen so much heartache where it's, you know, a lady's gotten involved with a married man and he's saying that he's going to leave his wife and his children. So they uh, enter this relationship with the premise that it's all going to be happy families down the future. Mm-hmm. But I would just say as a as a way of value valuing yourself and honouring the other person in the that's in the relationship mm. is just don't even consider getting into a relationship if the other party's not available. Mm-hmm. Even if they're acting like they, they are available available, I guess. Yeah. And that's the thing. And as soon as you find out that there is a wife or there is a husband on the scene, that's just your point of, of a no-go. That is a non-negotiable mm, because mm. as humans, I think it's really important that we respect one another to step back from that thinking that, you know, oh, they might change, they might leave the relationship. It's just not worth it. And we'd never want to be put in that position. So it comes down to that do unto others as you'd like to be done to you. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it's it's easy to say though, Suzanne, I think in reality though, if there is a strong mutual attraction between two people in a workplace, I mean, it's it can be really hard to stop those sort of, those encounters, those discussions, those little moments from, you know, becoming sort of more and more intimate o- over time. And, you, you, mm. you know, people are sort of crossing boundaries without even realising it. And, I mean, do you have any practical suggestions as to, uh, you know, if you've decided in your mind, hey, look, from uh, my, my ethics, don't really allow me to do this, but it's like my body and my brain aren't listening. 
And that's where so many people get undone in in this scenario and because of the amount of hours that you spend together in a day. Mm. So it's easy to then start opening up and sharing more with your husband or your wife to that, you know, co-worker. Mm-hmm. But what I would just say to people is if they start to feel any signs of attraction to the other person, and here's some of the signs, it might be that you get more dressed up for work if you know you're going to see that person yeah, that day. Yeah. It might be that you intend on buying them a gift. It could be that they receive special treatment. If you realise that any of those things are starting to happen, then I would say simply go and speak to a therapist, Mm -hmm. speak to a mentor, speak to a parent, somebody who's got some wisdom who won't be judgmental, who will speak into that situation because it could save you a whole lot of heartache down the track. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes in uh, Christian circles, in, in the sort of men's sort of movement in particular, they talk a lot about having an accountability partner Mm. you know having a a trusted man who uh, you sort of check in with on a regular basis and you're able to actually open up about this sort of stuff I mean sometimes it's uh, discussed in the the context of you know maybe pornography or or maybe you know having a, a fairly abusive sort of relationship to say, hey, listen, you know, men need to be able to step up alongside one another and encourage one mm. another and be accountable to one another. And yeah, basically, you know, confront sometimes and put, put the hard word on. Does yeah. that sort of thing help, you think? I think it does. I think the problem in society is we don't focus much on building strong relationships. Mm. So when you all of a sudden get to a point where you feel like you are quite vulnerable and could easily cross that line, you haven't got the strong built foundation with somebody else that Mm. allows you to just go straight in and talk to them about a struggle that you're having. And so I think that's really where paid therapy, having a counsellor, going to your doctor and getting on a mental health care plan, Mm -hmm. anything to that nature that could potentially avert you from uh, ruining a marriage, affecting the next generation, like it, it, it's big enough to warrant any of the above mm. just to stop that from happening. And we're not robots. We're not cardboard cutouts. We are going to find that we're attracted mm. to somebody else in our career. It's what we then do with that is the really important part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay, so the, the next don't you have uh, in the article is don't date your manager or on the, other mm. ha- on the other hand, someone who reports to you, so you're s- sort of their yeah. manager or, or their supervisor. And this comes up, you know, over and over and over again, doesn't it, this sort of mm. power difference that between people who, who end up together. But what's, what's the deal there? What's, what's the problem? Well, the problem with power differences is that the relationship's not mutual. It's not both people are on the same level coming in with the same level of consent. There's usually, let's say it's a manager and it's the secretary. That's a bit of a stereotype, but it's yep, one that we've yep. heard of and seen before. Oh, yeah. So the secretary is not only working for the boss, but now she's in a relationship, potentially a sexual relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And the power differential for when she decides enough is enough or she wants to, to stop the relationship, what does she do? Because yeah. potentially then her career is on the line. Or what about if it's the other way around and it's somebody who works for you and then they claim harassment because mm-hmm. you've been getting them one-on-one in meetings every afternoon when everybody else goes home. So it's very hard to do that. And I would say if if it was in that position that one or the other person looks for a new job and continues their relationship when they're working for a different organisation if they're that strong about getting together. Wow, wow. So if this relationship, if you're thinking this is actually something that could be a a keeper, you know, this could be a lifetime thing, you actually need Mm. to prioritise that relationship above your job. 
Absolutely. And it goes yeah. some, go somewhere else so that, that that power differential in the workplace isn't there. Well, that yeah that, yeah, that does show you serious, doesn't it? Well, and it also just means that, and most people don't think about this, they're just going with their endorphins and the dopamine that's flowing through their system. Mm-hmm. They don't actually stop and go, what does this mean in six months' time for my career? Yeah, yeah. And so I've probably coached is more the word or mentored some young women who were considering dating their manager. Mm -hmm. And I've always said, well, leave the workplace first, get a different job and then consider if that's still something that you want, because otherwise this could affect your whole line. And, you know, people can either take advice or not. That's totally up to them. Mm -hmm. And I guess it makes it difficult that there, you know, you come across, you know, happily married people and they're like, oh, yes, yeah, I was at university and he was my lecturer and now we've got three kids. You know what I mean? And that there are sort yes. of people who do manage to, to dodge the bullet and, and make it a little more difficult to kind of make this, this to you know, sound this warning, hey, you know, when there's a power differential in the workplace, you're, you're headed, for, headed for trouble. Okay. Well, most organisations identify that power differential is an invisible barrier that yep. can't be overcome. Absolutely. So, for example, with clergy in churches, they're not allowed to date their parishioners. Mm-hmm. The parishioner has to go to another congregation if they want to try a relationship together simply because of this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some organisations take it seriously enough to say you can't be in the same organisation. It's just not going to work. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Now, you, you have yeah. a, you have an in- interesting one here. Your, your third don't point is don't tell the whole office about it. I, th- I think we know that offices can be rumour mills at, at times. Is, is that what that's about? Oh, this is more, I suppose I've experienced a couple of times where you've got some very gung-ho individuals who are so excited about their new relationship. They're mm-hmm. a day into it. <laughs> and so they've told the entire office. And so now you've got Mavis up the hall who just absolutely disagrees and is giving her two cents worth. Yep. And then you've got somebody else who speaks into it and thinks it's the best thing since sliced bread. And mm-hmm. you guys are still just even finding your feet. And it, mm-hmm. it's just really uncomfortable. So I think it's really important to allow a relationship to grow with some stability before it's a known thing. And that's not being secretive. Hmm. It's simply just going, I'm going to honour this relationship and where it could potentially go, but it needs a little bit of time to grow first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, that, that sounds fair enough. Now, you, you have a couple of do's in, in your article too. Hmm. And the first one is a little bit of a blanket statement, but you know, I'd, I'd love for you to unpack this a bit. You say, do yeah. be an ethical data in the workplace. How can you, I mean, obviously, you know, don't, you've had the three don'ts, so obviously avoid, avoid yeah. those, but is there anything else to being an ethical data? I think it's really honouring people how you would want to be honoured mm. or even taking it as far as if it's a guy treating that woman with the same respect as what you'd give to your sister. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a woman potentially entering a relationship with a man, treating him the same way that you would to a brother so that you've got this ability to really allow the relationship to grow in a way that honours the other human. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's definitely about respecting people. It's about realising that if you want to make a statement, you're both in the same workplace, you need to both be in agreement before anything is said or done openly, publicly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's fair enough. Got to be f- fair to each other there, yeah. Yeah. And another part of that is obviously 
I think it's really important is not dating on company time. So you're not going out for long lunches together and (laughs) you're not doing all your flirting instead of getting into your work that you're meant to do. That's just an ethical part of, no, I'm working for an organisation. I get paid for seven and a half hours a day. I'm going to work those seven and a half hours Mm -hmm. and I'll work my dating out around that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And the last part I mention in in the article, and I think it's a really important one, and I've seen this done over and over again, is the serial daters. Uh-huh. I've joined organisations where they're like when I was single, you know, avoid Freddie, yep. avoid him. He will just come after you because you're the new girl on the block. And I think isn't that sad mm. that he's known as moving just from one person to the next? Mm-hmm. And so I think if you – listening to this, I've realized you're a serial data, no judgment. You can just do it in a whole different way moving forward. Yes, no judgment. No, no judgment, but don't do it. <laughs> no, no judgment, just moving right along yeah. because there are other places that you can find a relationship. You can find them in your sporting club. Yeah. You can find them at local events that you like to attend. Yep. You can have friends from church introduce you to somebody. There mm. are so many greater ways than just the workplace. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and the final point you make here is, I guess, sort of the, the sad reality. You, you say, while workplace relationships are common, what's less common is the relationship ending well. So so you, you say, hey, look, you know, you, you need to try to maintain this good working relationship if your romantic relationship goes, you know, belly up, you still need a good working relationship. Yeah. That's right. And that's not easy. It takes two to do that. Mm -hmm. It takes two to be great enough to go, you know what, this relationship isn't for us. Mm -hmm. Let's maybe just have a bit of time and space because time, just give time time when it comes to a breakup anyway, and it generally helps heal. Yeah. And so it's almost like coming up with some common ground ground rules that help move forward while you're both healing um, and giving some time and I think that's really important because if you want to keep working for that organization you're going to see them Mm. you're going to still be in meetings together and so if you can just end it well and that would be sitting down with the other person saying it hasn't worked out unfortunately and that's sad for us both but how are we going to move forward in this mm-hmm. is a really good conversation to have yeah yeah boy a difficult conversation but but an important one yeah yeah but- and it'll just save a lot of hurt down the track because one person might think of one thing that's very important for them in the workplace while another has a very a totally different perspective that they would like to be honored in as well mm-hmm. yeah sure now look so, some of of what you're saying Suzanne, is I guess people would say, well, this is, you know, pretty conservative, you know, and uh, are you trying to shut people down? Are you trying to enforce your your sort of Christian, you know, morality on on people in the workplace who are just sort of having some fun and, you know, living their lives? Or or do you actually Mm. see that there are good reasons for for what you're saying? Well, I think there's good reasons because of a number of issues. The first is that you want to have a good long career Mm -hmm. and you don't want your career to be affected by you know, how you felt in a moment of passion, Mm -hmm. number one. Number two is let's honour people. People are having a hard enough life and a hard enough time as it is than us contributing to pain and hurt. Mm -hmm. So why don't we honour people and care about them enough to just pause for a minute and think about the consequences, weigh out the pros and cons, seek some wisdom from friends before just jumping head in when it's a place that we spend at least 38 hours a week of our lives, pretty much 48 uh, weeks a year. (laughs) Yeah. And it could be a a pretty miserable place if you've, if you've messed up, you know, big time in, in, in that area. Yeah, sure. 
Now, look, I, I really do like, uh, Suzanne, like you sharing this and, and not just being the, you know, the person who just says no, 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 because you are saying, hey, look, as you said, you know, we, we're not robots, we're human beings, we're spending all these hours in the workplace, and you're saying there is a way to, to have a, a positive workplace romantic relationship, and yeah. you even, uh, in the article, you even talk a little bit about your experience. You've been, what, married ha- how long now? Uh, almost two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were colleagues basically started to enjoy talking together. We were both single, so I made sure I found that out first before even starting to allow myself to like him. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, And then it was just about discussing from the onset some good boundaries. I'd worked in child sexual abuse for the last six years by the time we'd met, Mm -hmm. and so I was very aware of good boundaries. Establishing a relationship would help us set up for a win. For him, it was a little bit of a foreign concept, some of the things I was proposing to Mm -hmm. him. However, it stood us in great stead for a, a wonderful relationship. And so the first thing we decided was once we'd been talking a little bit was, do we want to enter a relationship or not? Mm. Because you can have a great chemistry, a great working relationship with someone, but they're just not interested from the other yeah. the other perspective. So we needed to establish that and we both were. Mm. And from there then we decided that we would let our family know mm-hmm. and we would each have one accountability partner within the workplace oh, right. who we'd okay. just let know that we were starting to see each other. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and as they say, the, the rest is history. <laughs> no. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Hey, thanks so much, Suzanne. I really appreciate those words of wisdom. Perhaps, you know, realizing, hey, lo- love is a, is a wonderful thing, but um, it's a very powerful force. Thanks so much for your time this week. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much, Ken. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.